Hey, welcome to the Maroon PR Podcast. Spin is a four-letter word. <laughs> we like to start our pod by explaining why we named it this way. Well, if you're a PR pro and you hear the word spin or spin doctor, we hate it. And we don't like it because it kind of implies that you're lying or you're being dishonest or you're stretching the truth. What we do is communicate. What we do is help our clients message and help them tell stories. Um, so when you hear the word spin, it makes our skin crawl and hence the name of the podcast. And on our podcast, we're going to be diving into all things public relations, media relations, media. We're going to have honest and open conversations. Um, we discuss the good and the bad. And we're going to be talking to some of the most interesting people around from fellow PR pros to, to journalists and those that are actually under the spotlight and being interviewed. Um, so our goal is to have this honest, informative conversations. We hope you enjoy it. And if you like what you hear, please you know, subscribe, follow us on social media, and uh, give us your honest feedback. We want to get better as well. Hey, everybody. This is John Maroon. Welcome to Spin is a Four-Letter Word, the Maroon PR podcast, talking all things public relations, media, etc. I'm joined by our Vice President of Media Relations, Matt Williams. Hey, Matt. Great to be here, John. And our esteemed producer, videographer, many hat wearer, Brittany Everett. Britt, thanks as always. Um, our guest today is one that excites me. Uh, it's Abe Madcor. He's the publisher and executive editor of the Sports Business Journal. Um, he'll be joining us in a few moments. Matt, you and Abe have a history. We do. We go way back. Uh, Abe was an intern, actually, way back in our days at the Washington Bullets uh, together when I was the PR director there. And, you know, it's amazing to see how Abe has been at the ground level of Sports Business Journal and, and is now the guy. You know, he is the man there and runs the show. And it's great to see he is one of the preeminent voices in sports business, and it's going to be great to talk to him. Any of you folks out there that are listening that aren't familiar with this publication, check it out. I mean, if you're into this business of sports, it's the Bible. There's yep. no other place to go. They cover it extensively. They cover it professionally. The magazine is produced beautifully. It's well done. Um, and and it's it's a resource. I mean, I can't imagine. We One thing we talked to him about is the shrinking newsrooms, how there used to be a lot of sports business journalists out there covering it. They've kind of gone away, and they're almost they're almost too dominant to even think about competing with now. That's right. I mean, you know, they've they've outlasted those um, those the sports business reporters at the at the major dailies, and uh, now you know you'll get the occasional podcast and that kind of thing that may be a competition for them. But they are simply the bible for it's well stated. They're the bible for sports business. We have a wonderful guest today. Abe Madcore is. The boss and the publisher and executive editor over at, uh, well, basically the Bible of sports business, Sports Business Journal. And uh, we're thrilled to have him on. Abe, thank you so much for giving us a few minutes of your time today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I've been big fans of both of yours, John and Mac. Great to join you today. Well, that, that's really kind. I know you and Mac go way, way back. And speaking of going way, way back, Abe, tell us a little bit about what, what has been accomplished at the SPJ has been simply amazing i mean you've been there from the very start as a as a journalist and you know worked your way up the ladder to now running the entire operation uh, tell us a little bit about that journey and the vision for it and how you made certain decisions to get you to such a, a affluent position uh in the world of sports business 
Well, if you're talking about the personal journey, I can be very brief. But on the business, <laughs> I think they're kind of intertwined. You know, Matt will remember when, uh, uh, and John, you remember when a publication was started uh, by faxing 15 pages of information to <laughs> yeah. people in 1994. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I still remember to this day Matt pulling me aside at a company uh, picnic or a happy hour and just saying, you know, everybody's reading this thing. And, right. uh, it was uh, very gratifying because I was in my early 20s and working for some people in their mid-30s who were starting it. And, you know, we uh, they, they saw – I give credit to the people, a gentleman named Jeffrey Pollack, who's at the XFL mm-hmm. right now. Um, you know, there was a connection to a political publication called the American Political Hotline. They saw a need for a sports business publication. And then later, uh, Street and Smith which had a number of like city business journals across the country knew that they could put together a weekly magazine. They were familiar with sports business daily. They acquired the daily in 1998. They launched the magazine in 1998. Uh, they gave me a position overseeing a lot of the editorial aspect of it. And, you know, general, gradually I took over more and more of the business operation as well. But, you know, we started doing conferences. We started doing awards. We started doing newsletters. And we started doing, you know, all sorts of different brand extensions. And so right now we are, we could like to call ourselves a, uh, a multimedia company because we do audio, video, print, um, and so many other, and, and live events. So it's, it's been a fun, fun ride. I'll put it that way. I'll bet it has. I mean, you know, Abe, you know, of course, we go way back and so 94 i was thinking you know it was clearly the sports business world the sports business publication world was in its infancy but um it's changed a lot over the years clearly you guys are 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 rolling with regard to being the you know the really the voice of sports business but have how have you seen it evolve with regard to competition i mean i know that a number of you know, major sports, uh, major newspapers in the in the, in the country have had sports business reporters. Now, some of them don't because so many of them have cut that job. But how have you seen the whole competition side of of sports business evolve? Yeah, so Matt, I mean, you nailed it. I mean, uh, you and John remember in the mid to late nineties, it was a it was a growing beat. It was an area of emphasis. You had a very influential reporter of sports media and the likes of Rudy Marsky. Right. You had Michael Heastan at USA Today. You had R- Richard Sandemir at the New York Times. This was after a magazine called Sports Inc. Uh, went nice. under, but you still had a number of sports media columnists in local markets. Len Shapiro was a great uh, sports business. I mean, he, he wrote on a lot of stuff, but you knew that there were certain beat writers covering it. But to your point, Matt, as there was consolidation in the newspaper industry, those were the first positions to go and i'll tell you from say i'd really say from like early 2000s to about 2010 or 11 there really wasn't much competition out there because people just weren't investing in it in the last 10 years there's been more uh publications uh some digital only we've also seen competition on the conference side of the business because people see that the sports business is dynamic it's growing there's lots of money in it there's uh, and there's room for multiple um, multiple comp- uh, publications and competitors. And just in the last couple of years, we've seen about two or three pop up. So, you know, I do think that people see it as a growing space, you know, even within the last 12 months and what's mm-hmm. transpired. But there's 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 subscribers 
there's advertisers and there's attendees. So you put those three together and you can make it, you can have a business. Sure. Yeah. It's amazing. And Abe, spinning off of that a little bit, um, one of your recent columns uh, was, I found very interesting. It was about the new uh, right steal the NHL signed. And I love it because the header on the column said no spin. And <laughs> essentially you said, hey, look, for years the NHL has been talking about we have a really um, unique fan base. They are going to be more attuned to moving away from traditional means. They're going to be more open to streaming. And it, it felt like a talking point. It felt a little like spin. And then now, you know, Gary Bettman's you know, swan song on deal, rights deal is so innovative Tell us a little bit about that and about how you see other leagues kind of maybe following that model. You see games on Hulu and whatnot now. It's kind of taken the cutting the cords really taken to a new level. I think, John, what we saw with the NHL and what we saw with the NFL's deal, because the NFL's deal were largely focused and the announcement on linear television. But if you look at that deal very closely, these networks also have the ability to run games in parallel on their streaming services, whether it's ESPN Plus, Peacock, or Paramount Plus at CBS. So these deals that we're going to see from now on going forward, the streaming and OTT component is going to be an incredibly vital part of these deals. If you look at the NHL deal, John, really there's only about 25 games per season that are actually on an ESPN network. The rest are all on plus. So while, you know, if you really looked into that deal, you see it's very heavily weighted towards the streaming and OTT aspect uh, uh, of the platform. But that's where Gare, that's where Commissioner Bettman wanted to be. He, uh, you know, he thinks that's a the sign of a, of a younger fan base, and that's where the younger fan base is consuming content. If you're ESPN, you know that the NHL has a very, very rabid fan base. So you all know being in D.C. where, you know, if you're a Caps fan and the games aren't on, you might just subscribe to ESPN Plus just to get those games. So, yes, I do think you're going to see the streaming components be a major factor in all of these deals going forward. It is amazing. So I'm I'm a you know, I'm a long-suffering New York Jets fan living in Maryland. So I'm I'm direct TV. I'm the on the Sunday ticket and you just know that that's way. I know they've been in talks forever. You know, it just says minute that right. that expires next year, it'll be really interesting to see the NF, the NFL, the the king of the leagues and what they're going to do and how they're going to stream and you're going to be able to individually buy. It's just it's a it's the wild west and you guys are on top of that. Yeah, I think that's the next big deal for the NFL to keep your eye on, John, is that Sunday ticket package. You know, it's not going to stay with AT&T and DirecTV. It is certainly going to go uh, somewhere else. I think it's going to – I think the, I think ESPN Plus is a very possible landing place. I think they, they really want to do a number of different elements to that package. So that, to me, is the next big rights deal. Certainly on the other rights deal front, the EPL's up, and NBC will have to really look closely at that. And then you've got MLS and the Big Ten, and those, I think, will be interesting deals because if you look at it, how many billions of dollars were just sucked out of the media marketplace by the NFL, and you have to think it's going to be a little tougher negotiations for these other properties. Yeah, for sure. Abe, do you find just over the last you know decade or maybe a little longer than that, the sophistication level of the people actually working inside the teams and inside the leagues, um, it, it's, it seems like there's a whole different level of executive now than there used to be because of the, the monumental size of these deals. 
when when your folks and your reporters are dealing with the team front, do they is it obvious that you're dealing with a different level of expertise and and uh, experience than maybe in the past? Yeah, maybe different from when John Uh-oh. and I were in it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, I mean, I always laugh, guys. I say that you know, if it was today, I'd never be able to get in the sports <laughs> business. People are way too intelligent. I mean, absolutely, John. I mean, if you look, just look at the NFL. I mean, half the executives over there are probably from Goldman or from you know, they're they're all Harvard Business School practically. You know, so many from McKinsey, uh, Bain and Company. Um, So you're seeing a far more sophistication level at the league office, particularly, Um, you know, the people who they're bringing in and strategy and development, they are people from uh, outside of sports. You know, I remember when Commissioner Bettman was uh, talking to me one time, he wanted a new CMO and I you know, where are you going to, where are you looking? And he says, I'm looking for Sil- at Silicon Valley. And I kind of like, okay, that sounds like a good good thing to say, but I don't know if it will really happen. But sure enough, I think his CMO is from Pandora. I think the N- N- NBA CMO is from Twitch and Twitter. So, I mean, that sophistication level outside the business, uh, I get more and more people who will tell me that they're looking for a certain position and they really want someone outside of sports. So I think that it was, and you two know this, I think at times sports was seen as a little bit of a a sleepy mom and pop operation. Mm -hmm. And I think that with the dollars at stake right now, and certainly the new wave of owners on the team level, uh, they are far more demanding. And I think they're trying to diversify their talent pool. Abe, uh, you know, I, I don't want to not to hurt myself patting you on the back so much here, but but um, if folks don't read Abe's column in the Sports Business Journal, they should because it's always great. And I want to bring up one that you did um, talking about the Philadelphia Eagles and a and a and a press conference they had in, uh, introducing their coach, and it you know it didn't go particularly well, and and uh, you called attention to that, and I'd love to hear kind of your take on you know, what you see, the common mistakes you see sports organizations, leagues, and teams continue to make in spite of, in spite of good people around it. Yeah. And, and, and before you answer that, Abe, it it also is very um, obvious of where some teams value media relations. They put a lot of resources behind it. They get the best and the brightest other teams, not so much. It seems evident sometimes. Yeah. And I, and I guess I'd also, and the second part to that would be, Abe, if you can point to some particular teams that you think did a great job on something, something that, you know, a campaign or something that was you thought was tremendous. Okay, so the first part of the question goes like, I do think the emphasis on communications and um, – it's so much more advanced now than public relations. So I'll just call it communications and corporate communications and even crisis communications. I think it's so far more advanced now that the communication executives are at the head table. They are at, they are in the executive board meetings, at least in the organizations that I really look to and trust. They have their comms people in every major decision and every major conversation. So that should be, that, that should be going forward. You know, most of the leagues I talk to now, they have internal communications people, and then I know a lot of executives who have an external communications person just to get another sounding board and another voice. So I do think the emphasis on communications is far greater today than, you know, at any time in the industry. Mistakes, 
uh, I'll tell you, in full disclosure, I got a lot of earful on that column <laughs> I wrote. And it was not just – it wasn't from the Eagles, but it was from people who know the organization or live in Philadelphia and felt that, you know, I painted that in unfair light. And I really, you know, there, there were just some things that went wrong in that one. And sometimes the or, argument that was made to me, and, and I thought it was a fair argument, I probably should have stressed it, sometimes you're probably never going to win. Mm. And, and what I meant by that was that the, 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 the situation that was related to me specifically on the Eagles coach was that it was such a tense, such a tense environment that the media was really looking to, you know, have some questions and go get at it and get into it. And I don't, you know, I watched the press conference like three or four times on, on, on video. I probably didn't feel that tenor as much as I probably should have. So I might've underplayed some things, but I still think at times and there are people who tell me that co- that that press conference still went sideways because what I was told, people didn't follow script. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was some planning, but it just didn't go as well as they had hoped. I guess what I'm getting at is that, you know, sometimes I think it's always important to win the press conference. Some people have told me that they've had plenty of leaders, plenty of coaches, plenty of executives who, you know, won the press conference, but then were awful in the hallways and awful (laughs) in the front office and awful on the field. So I get it. But I do think that there's sometimes a sense that people can wing it. Mm-hmm. on a press conference and wing it in front of the media. And I think the media is far too sophisticated, far too savvy. And I'm not saying this is an anti, this isn't an anti-media statement because I'm in it, but far more interested to push and to press. And I think, sure, there are some members of the media who probably like to ask questions to be provocative. So I just think that preparation, preparation, preparation only helps. Um, you know, the best organization, Sean, that probably kind of, you wouldn't be surprised to hear but it probably goes down to the organizations that I think are are probably the most successful, you know, business organizations mm-hmm. because most of them have most of them have corporate and like a, a chief communications officer mm-hmm. in the mix. You know, I always give the Falcons a lot of credit. I think they do a really good job showcasing and sharing their message. I think the Arizona Cardinals do a really good job in the NFL. You know, I think that teams like, um, you know, the Miami Dolphins, what they've done, and that's just the NFL. On the NBA, I mean, the Golden State Warriors have done a great job always kind of being out front yeah. on issues. Um, so those are just some ones I, sure. I, I could go on and on. But I do think it's because those organizations um, have their communications people as trusted sounding boards and advisors. Yeah, and, you know, locally, a great example that's the Baltimore Ravens for years. You know, Kevin Byrne was oh, yeah. had a big Kevin, seat at yeah. the table and – and he had Chad right under him forever. So, you know, yep. they're a good example. Great, of that. Great point. And it's interesting. In reading your column, like, I know you use the Eagles as an example, but I think you were generally saying, look, you need to prep. You need to be better better equipped. And especially, I think there are certain markets where media, yes, it needs to be the best coach for sure, or the X's and O's guy for sure, the leader of men. But media, the ability to handle the media in certain markets like Philadelphia, like New York, that's really important, and, and and sometimes it needs to at least play some role in the decision-making process. You know, unless you're Bill Belichick, you can't grunt and walk off a stage. You know, you got to put the sentence right. together. So, um, right, absolutely. And Abe, listen, I know, I know we're going to let you go um, in a couple of minutes, but the other thing that strikes me with your organization is the staying power, the longevity. I mean, you look at yourself. You know, Terry left in Liz, Bill, Liz Mullen, Bill King, and the list goes on and on. I mean, 
what from your perspective, what has the organization done right to keep everybody? There's such a rotation in media these days, and you you guys are there, and you see the same familiar faces and experts in the, in the space. Well, it's it's pretty specialized, so I think once you're in a specialized space. Uh, and you enjoy it, you, you want to stick at it, and you're seen as a, a leader in, in within your respective areas. I mean, no one can doubt Terry Lefton's knowledge and authority on sponsorship and marketing and Liz Mullen on, on agents and Bill King on gambling. Um, you know, I take pride. I hope that we've created a good work environment and a culture here. I think, uh, you know, we treat people well, but also the people's work, they get read and they get noticed and they get attention. And so, um, you know, as I, I've learned as being a boss of reporters for a long time, reporters are very, very, you know, they want their material. They're very prideful. They want their material read and they want their material and their news read by the highest, most influential decision makers. And, you know, I'll give, uh, you know, our team all the credit in the world because they write great stories and our readership as many of you as you both know is is really the 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 cream of the crop of the sports business and so when commissioners are reading their work and owners are reading their work and sports media ceos are reading their work their work that makes a difference no doubt before we let you go abe just just real quick give us the top three you know sports business topics right the hottest topics right now in sports business sure so i mean we're spending a lot of time right now we're taping this in in mid-April, we're spending a lot of time trying to get some sort of behavioral trends on fans returning and fans re-engaging with sports, okay? Because the the executives I speak to, the leaders in sports, the owners I speak to, they are concerned about that, Matt, in terms of fan avidity and fan engagement. We've seen real softness in television ratings over the last 14 months. That has a lot of people concerned. There's a lot of concern at the leagues I talk to about, geez, we've got to bring 80 people to 81 home games now are people really wanting to do 81 home games so there's a concern of not just apathy but the word is more different focuses of attention or different areas of attention so that is certainly one will the sports industry rebound strong from in in fandom Uh, number two i think you've got to continue to keep your eye on the sports betting and gambling space i think there are some really interesting state laws that are still being passed i think teams are seeing it as a very mid to high seven figure uh, boost in their revenue at a time when revenue is needed. Now, what I'm also looking at as downstream, does that result in more people watching sports and going to sports? Because that was always, I hate to use the talking point, but that, that was always the talking point and belief of people in sports who advocated for legalized betting and gambling was that more people would be engaged, ratings would go up, uh, attendance would go up, and all forms of engagement would, would, would be going up. We have really yet to see that. So we're going to continue to keep an eye uh, on that. You know, a, a big area of the sports business is diversity and inclusion, trying to, I would say, change the look and, and um, at the executive level of the sports business, Matt. I think we're seeing a real emphasis on that across the leagues and the teams. And I think that, you know, we're keeping an eye, and everyone has to. We touched on it earlier, media fragmentation because the media rights deals were really the underpinning of so much of the sports business success and we saw the nfl cash in we saw the nhl have a nice deal but is there enough money out there is the revenue still out there for all these other leagues and do some of the mid-tier to lower leagues you know are they going to suffer if you're the 
if you're if you're not a power five conference like is there the money out there that you're expecting in your next round of negotiations so those are just some things that we're keeping an eye on but i will say the sports business is not lacking in in, in topics and news right now and oh you know i think we have to look at the power of the athlete because you know whether a rod does buy the timberwolves uh whether lebron you know, translates his ownership now into Fenway Sports Group to a larger ownership uh, uh, stake in another franchise down the road. I think you're going to see more and more athletes get involved in the sports business, but more and more athletes in in diversified business as well. So the athlete's voice, the athlete's power, and the athlete as investor is certainly uh, a story for all of us to watch. Yeah, even coming down to uh, the collegiate level with the NIL rules, whenever they get clarified, I mean, holy crow, that's uh, the Wild West right now. Now, that's a final point there, John. That's a great point. Like the, the, the next three months in college sports with the Supreme Court decision and the Florida law starting in July, and I think even the leadership of the NCAA under Mark Emmert, which is under question right now because of the recent inequities in men's and women's basketball and other sports, I think the dynamic nature of college sports is incredible right now. And I will tell you that I think of all the jobs in sports business and John and Matt, you, you know them all. I think the hardest job, uh, hardest job today is being an athletic director on a campus because they have so many stakeholders, so many constituencies, and they have so many areas of focus, whether it's compliance and ethics, whether it's, you know, boosters, whether it's coaches, whether it's trying to manage up to presidents and fans. Uh, it, it is just an incredibly challenging job. So, yeah, and most most schools are losing some budget since they didn't have any fans at events last year, so they're losing staff. It is it is a tough time. That's a good call, Abe. Um, Abe Madcore, publisher and executive editor of the Sports Business Journal. Abe, really grateful for a few minutes of your time today. I mean, Matt and I could bend your ear for hours. Exactly. We'll do that over a beer one day. <laughs> but really appreciate you taking the time. It was incredibly insightful. Well, I'm big fans of you guys. Love to get together anytime. And best of luck and stay well. And I, I can't wait to see you down the road. Thanks so much, Abe. Thanks for listening to Spin is a Four-Letter Word. If you like what you hear today, please subscribe. Send us your feedback, too. We want this to be interesting for everybody. And give us a follow, at MaroonPR on Twitter and LinkedIn.